Today's guest on the PA Football Story podcast is recently retired Garnet Valley head football coach, Mike Rickey. Coach Rickey was the head coach at Garnet Valley for 35 years, compiling 259 victories, seven Central League titles, and three District One championships. And now, your host, Chad Brubaker. All right. Good evening, Mike. How are you? I'm great, Chad. Thanks for having me on tonight. I appreciate it. You know, this is just a little something I do. I, you know, there's so many uh, untapped resources out there, and you're certainly one of them. So um, I want to get into it right away. Um, you know, there's – although I'm, I've been in the uh, media center for um, – the latter part of my career, I also was an English teacher, including the first three years uh, that I came to Spring Ford. And you've been an English teacher for what, 38 years? 38 years, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just want, you know, I, I, I really, obviously, that's where we derive our, and that's our main job in football. Is, this isn't Texas and PA. So uh, it's what we do. We have to manage those things. And Obviously, the you know the the paper load in in English is um, is tough, and I just wanted to hear you know there's a lot of guys that I hear are getting out, you know they get out of football because obviously there are a lot of demands on us all as teachers. So you've been teaching for 38 years, coaching for 38 years. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know managing the the classroom um, and also being an effective head football coach? I think that's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I always say with Garnet Valley football, when I talk to the parents, when I talk to the kids, that football is the least important thing that we do. That's kind of our – I start every year with that. And I tell our coaches that teaching is the most important thing that we do. And, and as you know, any good coach is a good teacher. Sure. When, I have, when I have guys on my staff that go on to become head coaches, the first thing I tell them is – you need to become the best teacher in that school. If you really want to make it work, you want to do that. And that, then we always have a really good conversation around that. And, and I just think, you know, as the, as the football coach, you're on center stage and, you know, the beginning of the school year starts and our superintendent always meets with our kids and says how the football program will set the tone for the school year. And, and we take that to heart in, in order, again, in order to do that, I, I want to get back to the teaching. We have to be really effective in the classroom. So what being an English teacher did for me as a football coach, I think that really helped tremendously is it forced me to be organized and it forced me to be efficient with what we were doing in both the classroom and on the football field. Uh, it does take a lot of time. The, the planning as you go through the years is not as intense as it is at the beginning, but the paperwork and grading papers takes a long time. Yeah, and, sure. and in order to do justice to that paperwork and to the students that you have in your classroom. And in order to do justice to the players you have on your team, that was to me, the, the most important thing was to find a balance and find a way that, that I could handle that and do that. So I became really good at being efficient with my prep time, really good at being efficient with my lunchtime, really good at being efficient and getting to school early before, before school started uh, so that I could take care of the things that I had to take care of during the week and I tried to keep the weekends for football. The way I worked it, I would use Saturday as kind of my day off. Uh, we uh, come in in the morning and then Sunday would be my prep day for football. That was my primary prep day. But during the rest of the week, you know, I devoted a good portion of time to um, grading papers when I had to. Now, I will say that as I got further along in my career, I started to teach fewer English courses and started to teach, uh, I've, taught, I've taught public speaking for a number of years, and I teach a course now called High School 101, and I've taught that for the last 13 years maybe. And High School 101 is a course for incoming freshmen where I kind of motivate, um, help them get organized, help them succeed in high school, and make sure that they get the most out of their high school experience so that when they leave there, they're, they're content in knowing, man, I did everything I could while I was here to set myself up. Probably so something good, that's overlooked. I think that's a, a great course. Sounds, uh, it's, yeah. it's, an, it's an awesome course. And it's, it's especially awesome for a guy like me or like you who've been teaching for a long time. And I teach it through the real life experience that I've had with students throughout the years. You know, there's nothing more engaging for a ninth grade kid than to hear stories of 
students who are older than they are, who went through the school before, who it, it gives me some credibility as a teacher because I can share with them different things that they're going through right now. And this is what this kid did. This is what this kid did. This is what this kid did. And it's, it, I think it's a really beneficial course. And the, the great thing for me from a coaching standpoint is there's not a lot of outside paperwork with that course. Right. You know, I would assume the fun. same with public speaking where most of it's in class. Yeah. Most of it, most of it goes yeah. in class. Yeah. Now I will, I will say that being an English teacher and a, and a football coach, I think the most important thing that we do as football coaches is communicate. Sure. And, and, I, and I don't think you can be a successful coach where I don't think you can be as successful coach as you can be if you're a poor communicator. Right. And so uh, always a premium on communication with, with everybody, with the, with the players, with the assistant coaches, with the AD, with the booster club, with the parents, that's paramount to success, I believe. Right. And no, and no typos on your handouts. Yeah, no typos, and I even, I even tweet with proper grammar. You know, I, I, You're using who and whom properly, right? Uh, every time. <laughs> well, it, I want to piggyback off that, too, because, uh, you know, you have four children. They're getting older now. I think you're – is your youngest graduating? No, my – so oh. I have – my oldest is a senior at Delaware. He's 21. I'll be 22 in a couple of weeks. I have a senior at Garnet Valley now, Matt – Okay. Who is, um, and then I have twin daughters who are juniors. So we're all, we're okay. almost there. You're almost there. Almost there. Then you look forward to all the college tuitions. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just got good news. My son Matt is committed to the Naval Academy. So. Oh, awesome. That'll, that'll help to him. Thank you. Thank you. That'll help with the tuition. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so on that though, you know, you have four children and again, I hear a lot of young, uh, head coaches who, um, get out basically because, and you know, it, I'm sure for some people it's a canned answer, you know, spend more time with family, but obviously for everyone, that's a concern. So you talked a lot about balance in terms of, um, you know, managing your, your work day versus managing your extracurricular um, responsibilities. What would you say to those young coaches who are thinking about becoming a head coach, but are also, you know, about to start a family or maybe they've already started one? How, you know, what are some, um, what are some pieces of advice you might have for someone yeah. like that? Well, some different things that I've learned along those lines. Uh, first of all, when my oldest was going into first grade, we moved into the district. And one of the reasons that we did that is so that, um, I could still stay actively involved. It, it would be easy for me to go to a different school for a conference as opposed to if we lived in a, a neighboring district, I'd have to take time off and, and whatever. I also wanted to have an opportunity to have my kids around the program, to have my kids around the school, to have my kids around the football players and the students in the school. And I think that was maybe the best thing as a parent that we did was give them the opportunity to grow up in an environment it's just a spectacular environment. You know, we have great kids at Garner Valley. We have great support staff at Garner Valley. Uh, my oldest really took advantage of it. We do a football camp where we stay at camp every year for, we stay at the school for a week in the summer. All right. Um, and um, he has stayed, he stayed at that camp from the time he was three years old up until he graduated. So he spent what, 14 years of his life, uh, weeks, uh, sleep in a Garner Valley high school. Yeah. But by doing that, he learned his way around the school. He learned how to deal with the maintenance people. He learned how to deal with the cafeteria people. He learned how to meet and greet and talk to different people. He got to drive a golf cart. And <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff was huge. You know, it, it's, it's a huge part of his development. And, and I love watching my kids. You know, they all served as water boys or water girls and uh, ball boys and just were part of that whole culture that we created which is a, a great thing. The other thing that I would say, so if, if that's possible to do that, I highly recommend sure. bringing your kids and making them part of, you know, we always talk about our football family. I know a lot of people talk about that, but we really try and make that reality and a real thing. And I think we've done a really good job with that. The other thing I would say is, is in the world that we live in now, I feel like parents are too involved with their kids. And, and I think it's really important that kids have some time where they can figure things out on their own. Yeah. You know, I, I, I talk to parent groups all the time. And, and one of the things I always tell them is, man, don't be afraid to let your kids fail. That's sometimes that's how they learn more. 
You don't need to be there to save them every time something happens. If they get cut from a team or they get yelled at by a teacher or they get detention, that, that's a great learning opportunity. And so I don't want to say it's not important to be around your kids because it is, but you don't have to be around your kids 24-7. You don't have to see every single thing that they do. Uh, I think they need to develop, especially when you're the head football coach and you're in the spotlight and people know who you are and people know who they are because you're the head football coach. To give them a chance to assert themselves and develop their independence, I, I think is absolutely critical. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice too. And it's you know, as someone who didn't have that luxury, unfortunately, um, I still tried to do what you said. You know, even though I don't live in the district, I I tried to get my you know my son would go every Friday night. My my dad would bring him you know to games, and he he never wanted to be the ball boy. He wanted to run down and celebrate touchdowns <laughs> with the guys, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I say something similar to parents. I say, you know, don't, uh, don't mow the path for your kids, you know, let your kid, you know, work on that himself, you know, don't clear the path, let the kid clear the path for himself. And I think that's great advice, not only for football coaches, but, you know, parents in general, certainly. Oh yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just telling my class today, we were talking about in high school 101, I was telling them how, I came home one day when my son was in seventh grade and my wife, my wife grew up in a small town in Michigan, Charlotte, Michigan. Uh, only three kids in her entire senior class took SATs. Wow. She was one of the three. Her senior year, she and those other two kids had already exhausted the school's entire curriculum. And then she, <laughs> she and then she ended up, they ended up sitting in a desk in the back of their classroom and teaching themselves. They had to mail the curriculum in for their senior year. And she ended up going to the University of Michigan and then Michigan Dental School. She's a dentist now. Anyway, she was a voracious student, never got, a, you know, always straight A's all the way through with everything. Very self-motivated, hardworking. And when I came home, when my oldest was in seventh grade at my kitchen table, there was World War Three happening at the kitchen table. <laughs> and I remember taking my wife in the other room and I said, listen, I said, I'm going to tell you right now that Jonathan is never, he is never going to approach school the way that you did. He's never going to care about school the way that you did. He is never going to go after and attack seventh grade algebra to try and learn every little nuance about it like you did. It's just never going to happen. Right. I said, you had your turn at seventh grade algebra. This is his turn. And we need to let him figure it out. And if he fails, he fails and have to take the consequence and figure out what he's going to do from there. But it was it was a real aha moment for her because she's, you know, the people who aren't in education, they don't understand that all the time, but it was a, it was the greatest thing I think that ever happened for him because he knew that, Hey, if it is to be, it's up to me, I have to figure this out. And it yeah. was, and of course he probably wasn't ever, he could have studied as much as he, you know, all day and all night. And he probably still wouldn't, you know, have the same grades as your, as your wife, just you know, from that standpoint. So exactly. <laughs> well, I know that you're. Um, I know that you are. Um, you really want to talk about program building, and but before that, maybe we'll put the cart before the horse and just talk about. So Garnet Valley has, under your tutelage, has been uh, district champion three times: um, 2005, 2007, and obviously um, this past year. Um, do any of those, does any of those um, stand out more than the others for you, or are they all the same? Well, they're, they're all they're, they're all the same, but they're all different. The first one was in 2006. That one stands stands out because it was the first one. Uh, the the one in 2007, we won a district championship, and then we advanced to the state championship, building off of what had happened in 2006. Mm -hmm. So that one kind of stands out for that. And then this past year. Um, you know, because it's so current and because of, you know, it was really the most dominant team that we've ever had in, in terms of scoring points and, and giving up points. Um, and it was just a conglomeration of everything that we built in our football program came to fruition this past year. So that was really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the um, so for people that don't know, um, Garnet Valley uh, plays in the Central League. And although didn't always, but plays in plays in the Central League. And um, one of the things that stands out, I think, um, to your opponents and, and other uh, teams is that you oftentimes have over 100 kids on the sideline. Uh, and 
Um, that's a sight to see. And it's not that you're necessarily, you're not bringing up the freshmen and you're not, you know, um, padding the sidelines with, you know, other guys or anything like that. It's a hundred guys or more on the roster and you, you're really big into program building and, and those types of things. And, um, you know, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that. Sure. So when I first started at Garnet Valley, I became the head coach in 1986 I was 23 when I was offered the job, 24 when the season started. I didn't even know then what I didn't know. Right. You know, I, I was organized and I was disciplined and I was hardworking and, and I had our central philosophy of team comes first. And I was fortunate that I went down to the University of Delaware at the time. Tom Coder was the freshman coach. And I spent probably, I don't know, eight or 10 straight Saturday mornings with him from eight to 12, learning the wing tee. That's what offense we played when I was at Susquehanna University. And as a tight end, I knew all the terminology and I used to be the guy in college that would tell guys where to go and what to do yeah, as right. we broke the huddle, but I needed to learn it to coach it. And that was a fascinating experience. But at the time we were one of the smallest double A schools in the state of Pennsylvania. In the mid nineties, Garnet Valley sold off a lot of farmland, a lot of wooded area, and we became the fastest growing district in the state. And now we're, we're the smallest, we're actually the smallest 6A team in the state. And we've been a small 6A team. We were a small 4A team, now we're a small 6A team. So anyway, during the course of that time, uh, I'm a big believer in you take what you get and you make the best of it. So our whole program developed over the years in trying to figure out how we could make a program that people wanted to become part of. And in order to make a program that people wanted to become part of, we came up with our, you know, football is the least important thing that we do. We wanted to attract people who would come into our program, regardless of their football ability. And we felt like if we used football as an educational opportunity and, and our program is very education based, we would provide any kid who came out with the chance to challenge himself, to get stronger, to figure out his role in the team and to, to embrace his role in the team and to become as good as he could in that role of team, which ultimately would help us become the best team we could become. And um, as we did that, we attracted more and more. I think in 2013, I think we had 47 seniors on our team. Uh, that was the most number of seniors that we ever had. I think the most we ever had in our roster, 10 through 12, was 118 or 120, which, like you said, is a, is a lot of players. And the thing I'm probably most proud of with that is most of those 118 know that they're never going to be varsity starters on our football team. But they, they want to be part know. of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that – I mean, I can go into all kinds of things sure. that we did to develop that. But um, – it's really, this is going to sound really corny, but this, this is really true. In 19, in the early 1990s, maybe 1993 and 1994, I think it was 1994, I had a kid on my team whose parents were going to go away for the weekend. They had, uh, he was the youngest of three. He had an older brother and older sister. They were both in college. Parents were going to go down somewhere in the South, Georgia, maybe to visit their daughter. And they asked me if I would keep an eye on their son over the weekend. And I said, no problem. I wasn't married at the time. So I took him home after lifting and we went to get something to eat. And he said, coach, can I get a haircut? You mind if I stop and get a haircut? Said, no. So he goes in to get a haircut and I'm sitting in a waiting room and I'm reading this Time magazine. And in this Time magazine, I think it was Time, there was an article called the I Can't Funeral. I don't know if you ever heard of that. No, I didn't. Anyway, so I read the article and the basic premise of the article is this. There was a woman teacher, an elementary school teacher in the Midwest somewhere, and she wanted to pilot a program that would help students raise their self-esteem. And so what she did was she got 20 or 25 teachers from 20 or 25 different districts in the Midwest. She trained them in this program, and then they were going to pilot the program, and she was on a sabbatical, and she was going to drive around to the different schools and monitor and see if, if her idea worked. And she was really concerned about this one teacher. It was an older teacher. She was in her last year. She was concerned that this teacher wasn't really going to be willing to change because she was going to be set in her ways. Sure. So she went to her classroom first. And when she went into her classroom, all the kids, fifth grade kids, were sitting down at their desk and they were writing vehemently and aggressively all the things that they couldn't do. I can't do long division. I can't kick the ball over the fence. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. 
And as she looked at that, she was incensed. You know, here, this was supposed to be a program to build self-esteem. Why are we focusing on the things that they can't do? Right. And then she went up to the teacher's desk and the teacher was writing, I can't get Billy's mom to call me back. I can't get my daughter to put gas in the car. And the teacher, the, the overseer, she was livid. And she stepped back trying to figure out how to handle this. And then the teacher said, all right, boys and girls, two more minutes, bring your papers up. She had a box on her desk, put the papers in the box. After all the papers were in the box, they went outside. She had the kids follow her. They stopped and grabbed the shovel on the way out. They went out in the recess yard. They dug a hole and they buried I can't. And she did a funeral eulogy right there for I can't. I can't is dead. We're not going to say it anymore. We're going to do I can, I will, I shall. And the, the supervisor was just, oh, my gosh, she was blown away by that. And I was blown away by that. So here I was, you know, I think I'm a pretty positive guy. But in 1994, I could tell you all the reasons why Garner Valley was never going to be able to be a good football team. Right. We were too small. We didn't have the resources. We didn't have the facilities. I could go on and on and on. So I, I contacted my coaches. Now we have 20 guys on our staff. At the time, I had five or four. And I invited them to my house for dinner. And I said, when you guys come to dinner, I want you to bring with you an envelope. And in that envelope, I want you to put in there what your vision is for the football program at Garner Valley. So they came to my house and we had dinner and after dinner, we got the envelopes out and we were an independent at the time. One guy wanted to be in a league. One guy wanted to be in a league and win the league. One guy wanted us to uh, be ranked in the daily times super seven, which we never had been right. And one guy wanted us just to be a consistent winner. And I pulled mine out and I said, I want to play for a state championship. And these guys are, you know, how close you get as a staff. And they literally, they laughed in my face. And like, coach, come on, man. We can't beat Unionville. We can't beat Pencrest. We can't beat Sun Valley. We can't beat Chai. Those are the schools that are right around us. We're not the best school in the immediate area. And you want to play for a state championship? And then I made them read that article, the I Can't Funeral. And I said, as we're, oh, I'm done saying we can't. So we sat in my kitchen and we got this butcher block paper and we made a list of all the things that we felt like we needed to do in order to develop the program that we wanted to become. And then the next day I went to school and I met with the seniors and we did this. I had them give their input. And that was in 1994. The coolest thing in 2007, we were fortunate enough to play in a state championship. It took us 13 years to get there. And as cool as that was, and that was an unbelievable experience for everybody involved, for the community, for the players, for the coaches, it was just awesome. One of the things that I'll never forget is right after we did the Star Spangled Banner, I had just gotten done doing an interview for Channel 17 and Channel 29 and Channel 6 or something like that. And I walked over to the sidelines, put my headset on, and I hear, yo, coach. And I look up, and there's one of the seniors from 1994 who lived in California who had flown in. I hear another, yo, coach. And there's a kid in Texas and a kid from South Carolina. They all were there when we laid the vision for this dream to happen. And they all wanted to be there when that dream became a reality. It was one of the coolest things that ever happened sure. to me and to, to our football program. But, but what it did was once we decided that it was up to us, we have to control, we can control. We have to figure out how to make this as good as we can make it. The ideas that we would generate, I would take the coach, the coaching staff away. We go down to Ocean City, New Jersey every year. We talk about different things. Every problem we encountered, maybe it was the number of players in the program. Maybe it was immature group of kids. How can we come up with a way that's going to creatively solve this problem and at the same time make our program better? And what happened as we did that is by giving all the coaches input into those decisions and really sitting down and looking at it from an educational standpoint, and what can we do to attract people to become part of this program? What can we do so parents are going to buy in and support this program? How are we going to get our AD and school board? It, it just, we started to come up with some really great ideas. And, yeah. and that the, the number of kids blossomed, the, the support. I mean, it's a, it's a real event at Garner Valley to come to a football game now. Sure. Sure. And, and I know, you know, you have talked to me, the, one of the things that, that we do now um, because of having talked to you previously is we do um, a father's VIP night. Um, and we, you know, we have a pregame meal before every game. So we invite the fathers uh, in for that. And um, we don't let the fathers speak. We have them write letters, uh, but we also, our homecoming game is always on a Saturday. And so uh, we have the mother's brunch. It's our pregame brunch and our seniors get up and we do this. I love you ceremony, which we have the seniors uh, tell the whole team 
um, you know, why they love their mother and vice versa. And uh, it's a pretty emotional thing. And, you know, we have the seniors do it and hopefully the underclassmen mothers don't let their kids uh, quit because they want to, you know, experience that when they're seniors. But, you know, I got those ideas after talking to you and I know you do some other things like that. Can you talk about some other things that you do kind of to bring that family mentality to your program? Yeah. And I, and I, I love that you, you did that. We had talked about that. I think at the uh, Maxwell club dinner. Yeah. A couple and, years and, ago. Yeah. And uh, well, and then you told me about what you were doing just this year. And I think that's great. And I think that's what we, what I mentioned before about the, it has to be genuine. It has to be sincere in order for it to work. Right. So one of the things I just was talking with a young coach. I love to, to talk with the young guys, especially the guys that want to get better and hopefully can pass along some wisdom and different things that I've learned over the years. Uh, the guy who just took my place, Eric Van White, he's a great guy. And I said, Eric, I said, I know you're overwhelmed with a lot of stuff right now. But the first thing that I would do if I were in your position is I would make sure that I would revive the player coach parent meetings. You know, we yeah. shut that down. But for years, I've been meeting during the offseason with every player and his parents. And the meeting's a half hour meeting and it really has nothing to do with football. Um, we set it up. We have our banquet usually last Sunday in January at that, at that banquet, I have a sign up sheet for the parents to sign up for time. And it's a lot of time. I mean, we have a hundred kids. You're talking 50 hours sure. of time that you're going to do that, but it's, it's time so well spent. You know, the, the, the purpose of the meeting is for most of the kids to talk about how they study and why it's important that they study the right way. Because most high school boys, they either don't study or they don't know how to study or they don't care to study. But when you're a football coach, when you're the football coach and you're sitting there with the player and his parents, and I make sure the parents understand this meeting is for the player and I want the player to be the one who talks. When they see that you're reinforcing exactly the same things that they're reinforcing at home. And I tell them, hey, we, we're on this, we need to be on the same page. We want the same thing for your son. We want to see him succeed. So let's work together. Let's get the adults in his life pulling in the same direction so we can help put him in position where he can be successful. Now, we can't do it for him. It's up to him to do it then. Part of that meeting, in addition to talking about how to study, is I had the players come in with a goal that they have, an academic goal and a personal goal. And the homework before they come to the meeting is to sit down and talk with their parents about that goal right. and to, to, to pull from their parents' life experiences. And, and my hope for that is, you know, you, you have five kids, I have four kids. It's really hard a lot of times for parents to talk to teenagers, right? So I wanted to give a, provide a vehicle where I, I gave some very clear questions that I wanted them to ask the parents and wanted them to talk about it provides an opportunity for the parents to give some input without overstepping that bounds of being too involved. Right. right? This is what I learned. And this is what I did. Or also too, too overbearing. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. And then when they come to the meeting, they have to come with that goal and then an action plan to achieve that goal. You know, when I go talk to different businesses, I'm always amazed. Everybody's great at coming up with the goal. Everybody stinks at coming up with the plan to achieve that goal. Yeah. Right. So, so we talk about how important it is to make an action plan that has tangible steps in it. So if you want to make the honor roll, what are you going to do on Monday night that's going to help you get closer to achieving that honor roll? And you can't just say study. You know, your, your action plan needs to be, for instance, the first thing I made every kid put down in his action plan, and I would help them through this process, is a distraction-free environment. No phone, no TV, a, a clutter-free desk or, or table, my feet on the floor. You know, and we talk about why that was so important to have all those different things. But then I said, okay, so let, so we can check those things off. And I, I was big on having a checklist of things because psychologically, if you see these things that you're checking off, of course, it's, it's going to make you feel better. Sure. You know, for, for math class, we might say, instead of saying study math, I, I was big on, okay, before you do your math homework, how about if you just review what the teacher did in class that day? Don't even open your homework. Just spend a couple of minutes, review what the teacher did in class so that you understand what was going on. And if you don't understand, look in the book, go to YouTube, contact one of you, but figure it out. Yeah. Then do your homework so that you understand it, not just to get it done, right? Most high school kids, I'm gonna, I did it. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but if you do it so that you understand it, and then the third part was to teach it to somebody else. Hey, mom, let me show you. Today we learned a quadratic equation. This is how a quadratic. I said, if you just do those three things with your math homework every night, I guarantee you'll be better at math. Guarantee. Sure. And now it gives a, 
it's, it's not a suggestion. It's not a vague. It's a very tangible, I can do this. And I said to, your, to, to the kid, I said, now you put down here your goals to be on the honor roll. So when your mom says to you, hey, you told Mr. Ricky, you told dad and me that you want to be on the honor roll. She's not nagging you now. She's helping you achieve the goal that you set for yourself. Right. Right. And, and so what it did and what I found is that it really fostered better communication between parents and players. And now you have players who are getting better grades and they're doing a better job and they're making the honor roll, a lot of them. You have parents who are so thankful that somebody else in their life is trying to help their kid achieve the same thing. Right. So now those, those parents walk out of that meeting. And I always give them at the end a chance that if there's any, any problems you have with me, any problems you have with the program, anything I need to be aware of. And sometimes people would have great things that they said, but every parent got a chance sitting right across the table from me to tell me what their concerns were, if they had any. What I found that, what my hope when doing that was that if somebody's in the stands, because we all know how the stands can get, somebody's ripping me or doing whatever, somebody else can say to them, hey, Bill, you had a chance. You sat right across the table like everybody else. That's right. what you tell them. Right? <laughs> and, and, and the other thing is they walk away from that meeting knowing man, those coaches, they care about my kid. And when you, when the parents know that the coaches, and I would always bring my assistant coaches to sit in on these meetings to take turns. When they know that the coaches care, it changes a lot of things. And in, 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 uh, the support, our support has been spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. One so, of the so, things that, one of the best things that I've done and, you know, obviously COVID uh, screwed some of this up, but um Starting in January, kids sign up to have lunch. It's just me and them. And we just sit. We don't talk about football. You know, we talk about, you know, how their grades are, how their social life's going, what their goals are in terms of, you know, after high school and those types of things. Um, yeah, I don't let them. They, some of them want to talk about football. And I I mean, we'll talk about the Super Bowl or whatever, but, right, uh, right. you know, not about spring four football. And it's it's really interesting because I the one thing that I've really learned from that is that, you know, there's some kids that are kind of quiet during practice or you, you view them as quiet, but you get them one-on-one and, you know, they're articulate, they, they're smart. They, uh, a, a player I met with today, he's running uh, a side business building computers. And I had, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that. Sure. And uh, it was, it's really interesting just to sit down with them and uh, kids these days, you know, everybody says they're different. Um, I would beg to differ on that. I don't know how you feel, but, you know, I, I think kids are kids and, uh, you know, maybe they have different experiences than us growing up in the, you know, the 20th century. But uh, I, I think it's, it's a really valuable tool for me, you know, just to say, hey, how's, you know, how, instead of just saying, you know, how to practice go yesterday, I can say to the kid that I met today, hey, you know, how's your, how's your side business building computers going and how, you know, right. there's a bunch of different things we can talk about. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I love that. I agree with you. I think kids are kids. I think the more that each of you can get to know one another and the coaches can get to know the kids, the better. Sure. One of the, one of the other things that we do with our seniors and in, in trying to develop senior leadership. And I was just at downtown East yesterday talking with, with their team and coach Mata and, um, we go down in July, we, we take a Monday night and we go down to Dewey Beach, Delaware. It's about an hour and 40 minute drive from Garnet Valley down there, hour 45 maybe. And what we try and do is have three or three, I guess three kids in a car with a coach. Okay. And on the, on the way down to the beach, and I try and put kids that don't really know each other, don't hang out with each other together. But with a coach, it's not their position coach, not their mentor. And... Um, the, the mission on the way down is to share your story. Right. You know, every kid has to share his story. How, who are his parents? How does parents meet? Where his parents grow up? Where his parents go to school? What do his parents do? Grandparents, you know, and anything that they can share. And it's, you know, for four or five guys, it takes the whole hour and 45 minutes. I give oh, them a bunch of questions. Sure. I, I give them a bunch of questions to help them uh, figure it out. People think, well, that's, that's not, oh, it's only an hour and 40 minutes. Well, that hour and 40 minutes is, you know, the, like you said, now the, the players are talking to each other instead of just knowing, man, this kid works hard in the weight room. He knows, man, this kid works hard in the weight room and he's got to go home from the weight room and he's got to babysit his younger brothers because right. his dad works, blah, blah, blah. And it just gives him a whole appreciation for who this kid really is. And it, it helps to build the genuine closeness that you need 
you know, to have any, any team that really is a family. And when we get down to, to Dewey beach, we go on the beach and each kid, I'll say, okay, Chad, who was in your car? Tell me about, you know, Mike Matter. Tell me about Mike Milano or tell me. About- oh, I can tell you about Mike Matter. <laughs> I, I, I hope Mike listens to this. I won't say anything, Mike. <laughs> well, Mike was my teammate at Susquehanna. So yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, those kinds of things, the more of that stuff that you can do, the closer bond you're going to build. And when you asked about 2006, 2007, 2021, what are some of the common things? The, the, the number one common thing with those teams is how close they were. Yeah. You know, they were the closest knit group of people that we had. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, and some of these things, um, I don't know, you know, they seem so obvious you know, like what you're talking about, but you have to carve out time. You have to carve out time to do them or, or you have to incorporate them into, you know, like you said at the beginning, from the very start, you're going to have to incorporate them, manage your time and maybe couple them with other things, but that's, that's, that's some good stuff there. Definitely. So um, I know, you know, for our program and I, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to you on a couple of occasions and, um, you know, for our program, we, we kind of, and it was made famous by Tony Dungy, but, um, we just adopt, uh, the mantra of, you know, try to do the uncommon thing, you know, be, be uncommon. You know, the average student goes home, throws his books and his book bag on the desk and, and then doesn't study. We want to be uncommon. We want to be in the weight room every day. We want to do all those things. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. I know that you've kind of built your program on on pillars. Um, and maybe I think there's three of them. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And, and again, um, and in listening to Coach Palco on your podcast, I listened to that today just to get a feel for what you're doing. And, and I hear it over and over and over again with coaches who are really successful. You have to believe in something and the kids have to have something that they believe in. So back in 2006, I think it was, uh, we were down in Ocean City, New Jersey with the coaching staff. And the homework that I gave them on the way down there, I told them we were going to come up with three words that were going to define Garnet Valley football that we wanted every football player to strive to achieve. And we were going to have a, a huge debate. I think at the time I had maybe 12 or 14 coaches on the staff. I said, bring, you can bring as many words as you want that you think would be words that we should model our program or base our program or develop, develop our philosophy around. And we were down there and it was probably from seven o'clock at night till maybe one in the morning. We took pieces of butcher block paper. We taped them up around this kitchen and we had probably 100 to 150 words up there. And then we argued, debated, discussed, you know, back and forth, back and forth until we came up. I said, we're not leaving here until we get three. And, if, and the three words that we came up with were selflessness, hard work, and character. And, you know, if you look at those three words, those are all things that people can choose to do. You choose to be selfless. You choose to work hard. You choose to exhibit character. And it has nothing to do with your football playing ability. So those words, I say, they have everything to do with football, but they have nothing to do with football. But that, that to me, having that foundational principle is one of the things that has attracted so many kids to our program is because every kid can choose to do those things or they can choose not to do those things. So once we decided that those were going to be our three words, we then put the, they're on our T-shirts, in our locker room, they're on our practice schedule, they're on our banquet book. They're, if you ask any kid from Garnet Valley from 2006 to 2021, Every one of them will spit off selflessness, is hard work and character. We talk about it at the end of practice every day. We talk about it in pregame. We talk about our banquet everywhere we can. And we utilize those words as to help teach kids, right? Our goal is to become the best team we can be. Our goal is to have the best, become the best kids and coaches we can be. If you, if you, if you are selfless and if you do work hard and you make character and you use character when you make decisions and you put yourself way ahead of the game and, and give yourself a chance. And, and, and again, I was when I talked to different groups and businesses and, and they want to develop the culture and they want to figure out a way, how can they define and develop their culture? 
I, I, I spoke to a business this past summer. And before I went to speak to them, I looked up their mission statement. Right. And it's, it's buried in the back of their web page. And the, the words that are on there, I, I called the owner. I say, can you tell me what your three words are? Says, <laughs> he, he said, hold on, let me look it up. It's an <laughs> you got him. Right? right. But I just wanted to see if it was accurate. Sure. Right. But when I talked to those people, I said, and, and what I was talking about was, and, and I can talk about this later, was during COVID when all that stuff happened, because we had those words in place and because we live and we use those words every day, we were armed with the words that we needed to use when all the devastation hit and it looked yeah. like we weren't going to be able to play. But I, I was I was telling the group, uh, the last business I spoke to, if you utilize those things, they permeate every aspect you know, they've permeated the Garner Valley football program. They've permeated Garner Valley High School. I, I used the example in 2007, my son, Jonathan, my oldest, was seven years old. And um, he was at everything. He was at football camp. He was, he was the ball boy. He, you know, he did everything. He was involved with everything. And following that year, so we played state championship in December. The following uh, July, we went up to Maine. My wife's father grew up in Italy in a, in a town called Taranto, which is on the coast in Italy. And he wanted to go to a coastal town. So he, he invited the whole family up to this uh, beach in Maine. Okay. So we drive up to Maine. We meet my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law. Great time. We're going into the hotel that he got us right on the beach. And uh, Jonathan, I said, come on, bud, help me carry the suitcases. So we get on the elevator and I have on a hat that says Garnet Valley football. And on the back, it says staff. And there's this guy in the elevator and he goes, you coach at Garnet Valley? Right. We're in Maine. In Maine, my, right. And my son's like, my dad's the head coach, you know. <laughs> and I said, how do you know Garnet Valley? I said, we're all the way up here in Maine. I said, I'm blown away by that. And the guy said, oh, I said, I live in Central PA. I've been to every state championship game. I was at your game last December. I knew Eric Van Wyk. I knew Drew Kravitz. I knew Tim Clay. It was amazing, right? Yeah. So he turns to my son, who, like I said, was seven. And he says, why do you think Garnet Valley's so good? <laughs> and, he, and he wanted my son to say, because of my dad. Yeah, right, right. right. And he looked him straight in the eye and he said, because we're selfless, we work hard and we have character. <laughs> and the guy cracked up. But it was it's 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 such a great example for the importance of living like those words can't just be words on the wall or words in your they have to be words that you incorporate every day. And and we've built a whole thing off of those words. And, you know, the, those words aren't it's not like you invented those words. Right. You know, but you have to like the, the mission statement for the business, you know, if you're just, you know, putting it out there because that's what people do and you don't live by it or you don't reinforce it or, you know, those types of things, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really have any meaning anyway. No, and I actually had a meeting with a, a, a player and his parents last week, and um, I was pleased it wasn't as profound as a seven year old saying that or whatever. But we just talked about, you know, maturity and making good decisions and those types of things. And the dad said, you know, I know that you, you know, have talked about in the parent meeting. He was he's a younger, a younger player. Uh, then you talked about in a parent meeting for in junior high, talked to the parents about, you know, being uncommon. And that's what we're trying to that's what we're trying to do. And it's like that proud moment where, you know, hey, yeah. it got across. It got across. And, and that's something that. Obviously, I'm sure you've had many parents uh, at home when they're talking to their their players, their student athletes, their sons, and they say the same thing, you know. Uh, absolutely. And again, back to what we talked about at the beginning, the importance of being a teacher, right? To be a good coach, you have to be a good teacher. And, and what we're talking about really is educating and teaching. And we're not only educating the players a lot of times, but we're educating the parents as well. Yeah. And, and providing tools. One of the things um, – Another exercise I do with my staff a lot, and well, I used to do when I was the coach. I'm no longer the coach, but I have to. I have to learn how to talk. Yeah, you got to learn. Right you got to learn how to say that now, <laughs> right? Is, uh, every two years or so, before we went down to Ocean City, I would have the coaches contact the coach or the leader of a successful program or successful business, whatever it was. So I would say, hey, uh, Chad, uh, Mike Ricky from Garden Valley here. Would you mind if Rich Boyd, my offensive coordinator, contacted you and interviewed you for a half hour or so about why you think you're successful? Right. Well, nobody, nobody ever says no, right? Because it's a, it's a real feather in their cap sure. that somebody's reaching out. And then we report out uh, when we get to the beach all the different things that we've heard. And it's, a, it's an awesome exercise. 
And we it either what we found is either validates something that we're doing already, or it gives us an idea that we can incorporate into our program. How does it fit to what we do? And one of the guys that I talked to one year was Dave Brandt. He was the head soccer coach at the Naval Academy. And I talked to him because we had a player, Hayden Woodworth, who I guess in the early 90s, he played uh, in Messiah for Dave Brandt, maybe in the mid 90s. And they won a couple national championships in soccer. And he had always spoken so highly of Coach Brandt. Okay. So I, contact, I contacted Coach Brandt and um, I've sent him an email. I mentioned Hayden Woodworth. He, he got right back to me. And I interviewed him. And one of the things that he said to me, he called it the visual articulation of the men's soccer program to Naval Academy. And what it was, was just an outline of things that were important to the, to the Naval Academy. It wasn't anything fancy. It was just a, they gave a lot of thought into what they wanted to have on there. And it was really organized and they had some really great stuff. So I told my coaches going down to the uh, Toshin city that next year, I give them homework on their way down. I would sometimes put the coaches in cars with people that they don't normally work with too. And and I said, when we get down there, I'm going to put you into groups and we're going to try and design the visual articulation for the Garnet Valley football program. I said, here's the rule. The rules are, it can't, we're not going to add anything new. Like I don't want to put new words in there. You know, selfless is hard work character. And one of the things we always work to achieve is oneness, which is a whole nother story, but that's, from the, my first year I was at Garden Valley, I had a coach, Tony Kaya, who was legendary, who he would end practice every day, just say oneness, man. And that became that that's the ultimate goal of Garden Valley football. But anyway, the, the coaches went down and we brainstormed different ideas and we came out with a pyramid of principles um, that are Garden Valley football. On the outside, the overarching ideals are selflessness, hard work and character. Right. Our three words. And we have arrows so that, you know, that's never ending thing. But the base of our pyramid is do what you're supposed to do and do what you're supposed to do. In 2000, I met I would meet with the seniors and we talk about what we want to get on our T-shirts. And I'd always let them pick the quote that would go on there. And we were sitting in my classroom and Glenn Walrath, I'll never forget. He said, Coach, we should put on the back of our shirt. Do what you're supposed to do. You say it 60,000 times a day of practice. <laughs> And, and he's right. You know, so I wanted it to be something that was meaningful. So we put do what you're supposed to do on there. We talked about do what you're supposed to do means. And it's so it's such a great quote in, in football. You know, if, if you're defensive coordinator, you have to get all 11 guys to do what you're supposed to do. The DN's got to read the tackle. The linebacker's got to read the guard. The corner's got to read the tight. Right. If everybody right. does what they're supposed to do, then the team doesn't gain a yard. Sure. Right. But but if you take it further, if you talk to kids in school, what if you just did what you're supposed to do in school? What if you did your homework? What if you studied for your test? What if you signed up for what if you got to school on time? But if you do all those things, you eliminate 99 percent of the problems you have at school. Right. Well, what if you did that at home? What if you just do what you're supposed to do at home? Take the trash out, empty the dishwasher, cut the grass, be home by 10. Right. You do all those things. You get more responsibility, more freedom, all these different things. And then ultimately, socially. What if you just did what you were supposed to do in every social situation you were in? You know, you, you're you're driving now. Wear your seatbelt. Don't exceed the speed limit. Don't be under the influence. Don't get in the car with somebody who's under the All these different things. But it always comes back to if you would have anytime a kid screws up, anytime I get bring them down. We sit them down. We look at the timeline. Where okay, you didn't do what you're supposed to do here. You didn't do what you're supposed to do here. You, there's no you can't refute it. it it's right. it's impossible. And so now what has happened is. That has become such part of the vernacular at Garnet Valley. The principals use it. The teachers use it. The par- I get a parent to call coach. I can't get him to do what he's supposed to do when it comes to bowling. <laughs> and it, it's it's the jargon, and it, it really, you know, the the next tier up is if it is to be, it's up to me. And like we don't want excuses. Right? That's on there. No excuses. Choose to be positive. Control what you can control. We have all these things that are on that pyramid that I give to every kid. I give to every parent. It's everywhere. It's in our bank of books, in our weight room. And I, I want it, it has allowed conversation to happen, consistent conversation with consistent message throughout the entire program, throughout the entire school. And, it, and, and in order to achieve oneness, that's a, that's a necessity. And that has really helped to, to work toward that and make that happen. Just to kind of, uh, I don't mean to sum up, but just sum up this part of what you're talking about. Do you think that is the most attributable attributable thing to your success is consistency? 
I think consistency is, is absolutely, and I think we're very consistent. I think creating something where every member of the program feels like a valued member, an important part of what we're doing, I think that helps to achieve that consistency. And I think, yeah, the consistent approach to applying the culture and holding people accountable to the culture. And yeah. it's not just players, it's coaches. You know, when a couple of years ago, we had a situation where I had to take some time off. I had to take two weeks off in the middle of the season. You know, I, I got overwhelmed with everything. And um, I had, I wouldn't call it a breakdown, but it got to a point where we were concerned about my health. And, you know, my father-in-law had just had open heart surgery. I passed out on the sideline at one of the games. And it was kind of really a freak thing, but it was, it was a wake-up call. So I took time. And when I did that, the message that I gave to the team and the thing that, that, that looked, it's nobody's bigger than the program. It's sure. not me either. Right. And I, I'm going to hold, you know, all these different things. And I was able to point to the pyramid and talk about those different things and take responsibility for what I did. And, and I have kids now that were there during that time that said that was the single most impactful thing that ever happened to them when they saw somebody who they thought maybe just were saying all these things, but who lived all those different things. Yeah. And that that's what that provides. So that consistency and, and, and holding people accountable to the standards that, that make up the program, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really good stuff. I mean, I'm sure that you have kids that fail all the time. And I talk about that, too. And I talk all the time to our kids about and to our parents about, you know, we're going to fail, you know, as coaches, you know. There's times where, I'll, you know, and you know this, you go home on a Friday night where you weren't successful and you relive about two or three plays that you wish you would have called this or called that or done this or done that. And uh, I think it resonates with kids knowing, you know, sometimes we as coaches, we get on soapboxes, but we've got to we've got to admit our, our mistakes as well to our yeah. kids. 100 percent. That's I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. When, when kids do screw up, and I'm sure they do, um, you just point back to those things. And what's yeah. the reaction to that? Is it, you know, okay, I already know, I already know, you've said this 60,000 times. Um, well, you know, two things, two ways I want to answer that. One, we've, we've reached a point in our program now where the kids hold each other accountable. In it without being jerky about it. I, and I tell them, I don't want you to yell and scream and holler at anybody, but just a senior going up to a sophomore who's acting like an idiot in the cafeteria and saying, yo, that's not, that's not how we do things here at Garden Valley. That's not character or whatever. They use the words that we have. Yeah. That it, it, it eliminates me having to get involved a lot of times with sure. that kind of stuff. And that's, that's when you really know that, that you're at the pinnacle. I, I always tell the story about Ray Davidson. Ray Davidson was a kid on our football team in the early 2000s who, when he was a junior, he started at corner. Great kid, uh, really proud of himself. You know how kids get that starting spot and they got the swag, they walk around school. He had it. And um, after about four games, it, Ray wasn't getting it done at, at corner. And I, I know I can use his name. I just talked to him yesterday, actually. And I told him I might bring this story up when I, when I talked to you tonight. And... Um, at the end of four games, I had to call him in. And, you know, as a coach, the worst part of your job is when you have to tell somebody that they're not getting done what they need to get done. You're going to, have to take right. them out of the lineup. And when I told Ray that, he burst into tears. He left my office. Didn't even come to practice that day. He was distraught. Came into school early the next morning before school. Met me. Apologized, coach. I'm sorry. I got overcome by emotion. I understand exactly that I'm not getting the job done. Can you please tell me exactly what I need to do to become a better defensive back? And I was dead honest with them. I said, Ray, you're not aggressive enough, and you're not aggressive enough because you're not strong enough, your footwork. You're about... I went through the whole thing. Sure. From that day in August to the following oh, – that day in October, excuse me, to the following August, Ray Davidson did not miss a single workout. He went to camps. He, he, he did everything he could to become a better football player. And when he came back in August, he looked like a different kid. He was bigger, he was stronger, he was faster. He was more mentally tough. He knew exactly what he was doing. His footwork was tremendous. That year, he had eight interceptions, led Delaware County with interceptions. He made first team all Delco, tied a school record for interceptions. And that was back before playoffs. And I'll never forget the last game of the year we played Sun Valley. We're walking off the field, and Ray Davidson comes over. He wraps his arms around me, kissed me on the cheek, and he said, Coach, thanks for benching me. 
Now, you, and I, <laughs> yeah. you and I both know that's not normally the reaction you get when you bench somebody, right? Yeah, sure. And I said, Ray, what are you talking about? And he said, he said, Coach, if I had never been benched, I never would have done the things that I did in order to prepare for this season. I never would have had the kind of season I had this season. That being benched was the single best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Right? And it, it and Pretty it mature. Is, oh, it's unbelievably mature. And, and that – you know that that to me is why you coach, yeah. right? If you if you can get somebody to to help them realize those kinds of things, that maybe the most unbelievable story I have with something like that is we had a kid uh, quarterback on our team. His name is Ryan Hamby, and Ryan Hamby. This was back in 2017. Really bright kid, over 1500 on his SATs, 800 math kid, um, really super hard worker, good athlete. He was a senior. He was one of our quarterbacks. And we had a junior on our team, Cole Palace, who was also a quarterback. Uh, Cole Palace is just a tremendously gifted athlete. He right now is playing baseball at uh, Penn. Um, at the time, we were a two-platoon team. And so we sat down as a staff at the end of the preseason, and we decided that our team would be better if Ryan Hamby was the quarterback and Cole Palace was the safety. Right. right? That, that we, just, we just thought we'd be better. Ryan's a great leader. Cole's a great athlete. We talked to Cole, talked to Ryan. Cole was, of course, coach, anything, right? Selflessness, anything we need, anything for the good of the team. So Ryan starts out the year quarterback. First two games, we win. Third game, we play Ridley at Ridley. We run outside Veer the first play. He pulls it, goes 65 yards, gets tackled on the two-yard line. And when he got tackled, he landed on his left shoulder, and he separated his shoulder. We didn't know it, right? He stayed in the game, hands the ball off. We scored a touchdown. But when he came over, to the, you could see his arm, his shoulder was out. So they put it back in. He begged to plead to trade with the trainer. They, they let him go back in the game. Two series later, he's reaching for it again. His, his shoulder comes out again. He's done. Cole Palace comes in and plays for the next four or five, six weeks, however long it was that he recovered from that shoulder surgery. So he did have surgery, but the shoulder injury. During that time, Ryan Hamby, before practice, after practice, he did everything humanly possible to get himself ready, to make sure that Cole was ready, to make sure that the 10th grade backup to Cole was ready. You know, he became another coach on the field. It was amazing what he did. Anyway, when he comes back, we're playing Marple. And we sit down, the offensive coordinator, me, the two quarterbacks, and we decide, okay, Ryan, we're going to give you a chance. You're going to start against Marple. First half against Marple, he played, does not have his best game. We have to take him out at halftime, put Cole Palace in. We rallies the team. We come back and we win. Yeah. Next week, we're playing against Harriton. First series of the game, Cole Palace is going to score a touchdown, gets tripped up in the end zone, tears his meniscus. So now Ryan comes back in, play that game. Next week, we play uh, Springfield. We're both 8-0 or 9-0. It's a phenomenal atmosphere at Garnet Valley. The whole town is there, right? It's a beautiful night. We're all fired up. They score on their first series. We get the ball from our own four-yard line. We drive all the way down the field. We have first and goal from the three. We run option. Ryan plants his foot and gets walloped. And when he gets walloped, he fumbles the ball and Springfield recovers. And as he comes off the field, he's, I can see something's wrong. Sit him down on the table, right? Now, here's a kid who, after everything that's happened to him, all the different things he's been through in the biggest game of his life, in front of the biggest crowd he ever played in, he's just fumbled right after a 90-yard, 95-yard drive and giving the ball to Springfield. He sits on the table and the doctor looks right at him right in the eye and says, Ryan, I'm sorry, but you tore your ACL, right? Now, that kid, he didn't cry. He didn't sulk. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He got up immediately off the table and he went and found a sophomore who's going to have to go in, and he started coaching him up. Ryan Springfield's doing exactly what we saw in practice. You know, I found – we were, blah, blah, blah. I'm in tears. I'm in tears watching this whole thing yeah, happen. For him. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So the next day I called, he applied to the University of Michigan and he applied to their engineering school and he was waitlisted. You know, 800 math, 1540 SAT or something like that. He's waitlisted at Michigan <laughs> for engineering. So I called, I went on the website and I found out um, who the person was that recruited Michigan for our area. And I called the woman and I told the story to her. And I said, look, I know you get great people to go to Michigan. My wife's a Michigan grad. I, I, I've been hearing about Michigan. I said, but I'm telling you right now, I've been coaching for 35 years. I've never seen any, any kid react in a situation like that ever. Like that's right. just, it's unheard of for him to do that. Anyway, he got accepted the, the next day or two days later, he got his acceptance. 
But I asked him, I said, Ryan, I said, how were you able to do that? I said, that's, that's, it's almost inhuman what you did. He said, coach, selfless is hard work and character. <laughs> you know, and he started spouting off the stuff on the pyramid. And it was, and that's when, that's when I knew we were getting through. Yeah. That's a tremendous story. Um, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to make sure that I touched on, cause I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but when we played in uh, 2012 in the playoffs, right. uh, we do a little TV show and uh, the, my co-host caught me off guard when he said, um, what do you know about Garnet Valley? And having been, you know, I was only in my third year at Springford and didn't know all of district one, especially the central league. I said, uh, you know, I was kind of fumbling. <laughs> I was like, I think they were in the state championship in AAA a few years back. But I really, honestly, I mean, that's all I knew. I didn't really know a whole lot about Garner Valley history. Well, yeah. you guys made a hype film and you used, you used my audio. <laughs> <laughs> you used audio. And I just want to say that was not my fault. That was my co-host's fault for putting me on the spot. And actually, one of one of your coaches, and he was a big guy. I wasn't going to mess around, but he was pretty – when I came on the field pregame, he stared me down and said, you're going to find out who Garnet Valley is. And I was well. like, hey, sorry. Like, it wasn't – you know, he put me on the spot. I didn't well, know he was going to ask that. You know, don't hold me accountable because I don't make the hype videos. But, <laughs> but whatever it was, it didn't work because you guys pretty much <laughs> yeah. put it to us that night. Well, I just wanted to say that because it was – I mean, it's one of the funny things, though, you know, because, um, you know, we put ourselves out there a little bit and and uh, it was just it was just kind of – it was humorous. Um, <laughs> who was that guy? He was huge. Probably Pat Evans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's uh, Pat Evans. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I was, I was apologizing before he was before he was finished. <laughs> right. That's funny. Um, so I want to like, um, I want to take up your whole evening, but I just wanted to give you the opportunity at the end because there's a lot of good stuff, and I know that you have, um, you know, you're you're tossing around the idea of, um, you know, taking what you've learned through the years and either or both writing a book and or utilizing that to kind of teach culture and team building to businesses and, and those types of things in your retirement. Um, so I wanted to give you the opportunity at the end um, either to plug something like that or just talk about any loose ends that we missed because, you know, I've learned just, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to you too much, but in the brief time I've learned a lot of great things from, just listening to you. So I wanted to see if you have any like final tidbits that are, that are good um, for people to know. Well, I, I thank you for giving the opportunity to do that. I, I do want to transition. I've been speaking to different businesses. I have coaches that bring their staffs down in my basement all the time. Yeah. I, and I, and, and I like to help people. And I feel like there is a, a need for, there's a lot of young coaches that are out there who, like I said, when I started out, I didn't even know what I didn't know. Well, Mike, and, there's not a lot of guys that, I mean, how many guys, I mean, 20 years ago, even you could probably name a ton of coaches that were in it for 30 plus years right. as a head coach. And I would say in the last 10 years, you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of guys that have been in it for 20. And I think right. that number, I think that trend is not going to change in the near future. Yeah. You know? So there's, so exactly. And there, so there is like, I feel good that people walk away and stuff that, that may seem like common sense to me. Now they're writing pages and pages and pages of notes down in their notebook and they're taking it and they're utilizing it. And as my wife says, you spend eight hours down there with those guys, you know, you could get, you could get paid for that at some point. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, and I, and it, it is true. So I, I would love to continue to talk to the businesses because it's amazing the parallels between building a football program and building a business and, and really comes down to communication and culture. Right. So I, I want to continue to do that. I also would love to um, go to, let's say Springford high school. I'd love to have the opportunity at some point, whether it be on an in-service day or someday in the summer to sit down with all the coaches and the athletic director. And let's say we had spring Springford high school build their own pyramid of principles together. Right. 
right? And, and under the guidance or just talk about what we did to build our program, not that our way is the only way or you have to do it our way, but just to generate ideas. And then it, it would, because I know our coaches, we never get a chance to get together. And I think it would be such valuable time for all the coaches in the school to be able to sit together, to talk together, to come up with it. And ideally you have a kid that plays football at Springford High School and he has the same expectations that the kid on the wrestling team has, kid sure. on the lacrosse team has, kid on the baseball team has. It's going to be better for the athletic program. It's going to be better for the school. It's going to be better for the kids in the program. So I would like to even go national with that and travel around, meet different people. I love to hear what different coaches do with different people, but I think that would be really cool and be really fun. To, to do something like that, to share, you know, that way I feel like I'm giving back and I'm, I'm helping people achieve uh, what they want to achieve and maybe getting people to think about it a little bit differently. I would love to talk to parent groups, you know, because, you know, we all know the parents can be, you know, our parents at Garner Valley have been awesome. I, I, I don't remember the last parent problem that I had, um, but that's, it, that wasn't always the case at Garner Valley. And that sure. was something that we build to, to help curb. But I would love to go and talk to parent groups, even if for no other reason than to give the coaches tools to use and something to refer back to if they have an issue with the parent. Yeah. Well, you, you heard Coach Ricky when he was here say blah, blah, blah. So, so I'm hoping to um, establish some kind of career where I go and I speak and I share uh, with businesses, with schools, even with parents, I am in the process of putting together a book. I sent you some, it's not really in a book format yet, but just some different ideas and different things that I might want to include in there. Yeah. Uh, different, different explanations. I don't know if it made any sense to you or not when you read it. No, it did. It did. It was good. And you know, that's, you know, I hear the one thing again, and I, it, it always strikes me. And I, that's why I asked that question earlier. It strikes me your consistency. Like, you mm-hmm. know, if uh, you have, you have stories. You're a storyteller. First of all, I'll say that you're a storyteller. Um, I guess that's the nature of being an English teacher as well. But um, the consistency and, and the uh, the stories match the stories match the message, I guess, right. you know, right. and that's I think that's really important because there's so many times where the story doesn't really match the message or vice versa, you know. So so anyway, that's the hope and. Also, I want to go watch my kids. You know, I want to really just be a and a fan that doesn't have to worry about getting out of there because I have something to do. Or yeah, right. You know, so yeah, that's it's tough. It's tough uh, running kids around and and uh, my son's graduating now and figuring out where he wants to go to school. So we're going through some of that as well over here. Yeah. <laughs> but Mike, I really appreciate you. Uh, sitting down and spending some time. Um, and, uh, I know that, uh, although it doesn't sound like you're going to slow down, but it just sounds like you're kind of switching, switching gears a little bit, but, um, I wish you the best of luck in doing that. And I certainly will recommend, uh, you to anybody that, um, something like that comes up an opportunity. So. Well, I really appreciate it, Chad. It was great catching up with you. I, I'm thrilled to be able to be on the podcast. I think it's a great idea that you're having that. I can't wait to go back and listen to the other ones, actually. Uh, I'll do that over the I next several that. days. I'll, I walk in the mornings, and I'll uh, that'll be my listening. Thanks for joining us this week on the PA Football Story Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook or on our website, pafootballstory.podbean.com where you can subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating, a follow, a like, a share, or just simply tell a friend about the show.